Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. So today, I'm actually going to speak about uh, the last one of our values. Um, It's called People Are Our Priority. I was talking to a guy a few years ago, and he was telling me about an event, a big event he was organizing. And he was, you know, he was talking about all the structure of the event, the timing, it's going to start here. He's getting into detail. He was talking to me about how the seats were rowed and going to have 10 seats wide at either side. And so the event was uh, taking place, and he had a whole service flow on how it should go, detailed, organized, incredible, great plan. Um, Everything was set up with the sound equipment, and there was drops, there was like seat drops on the seats. And right before the event was about to begin, a child came running in because children were invited, right? Just, you know, children do. Uh, sprinted in, just probably, I think they were being chased or what was, I don't know what was going on, but they flew past the front row and knocked one of the seats over after all that planning. And I watched this organizer (laughs) as I seen the child hit the seat. And so what an incredible act of kindness. This organizer, this leader at this time, came over, rushed to the scene with so much care, diligence, love, pastoral, uh, a pastoral mindset, um, just so worried about the seat. So they picked the seat up as the kid was lying on its face and put it right back in, oh, oh, a wee bit to the right, a wee bit to the left. Oh, that's just not, and then got the seat drops back. Was, was, was flustered, was worried, was devastated in a little bit of a way about the seat. But don't worry about the child because the seat was the priority in this person's mind. And I remember that event and and the description of that event, and it made me realize that if we're not careful, (laughs) we can start to care more about a seat and the situation around it than we can about a child or a person. We can care more about what... I'm trying to think of a technical term for a camera. The ISO... We can care more about the aesthetics, the focus, and how things are going regarding to that than we can about the person, about the people. We can care more about the coffee and and, and the coffee cups if we're not careful, and the aesthetics of the building if we're not careful because we're trying to do a good job, and all those things are good and all those things are right, but at times we can become, as Mark spoke about last week, we can start to, be, to create a project and focus on a project rather than a person. And I think that's why I loved what, what Mark uh, shared last week. If you haven't listened to it, go online and listen to that. And he was just kind of calling that out a wee bit, that, hey, if we're followers of Christ, are we actually following Because Jesus sat down with the worst of the worst. He spent time with people. 
He didn't just get busy doing stuff, mending stuff, building stuff, renovating things. He was prioritized around people. And our, our part of, one of the probably major parts of our vision and our values as a church is that people are central. And so I'm going to read a scripture which we sang in the first song. It says in John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So when he speaks about the world, he's focusing on people. When he created the earth and the light and everything within it, it was centered around people. He has called people to have dominion over the earth, to lead the earth, to create the culture on earth. When, when things go well with the humans, the earth does well. So number one, we believe that people matter to God and so they should matter to us. And so that's easy said. It's often more difficult to do. Easy said, more difficult to do. It says in Luke 15, 1 and 2, and this is Jesus speaking, um, or, or Jesus is in the center of the story. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, The man welcomes sinners to eat with them. To eat with them. It's interesting, and it's, it's, a, it's a great challenge to me, and maybe to you, that Jesus didn't sit around with just all the Christians. <laughs> it seemed that as we read the Scriptures, yes, He spent a significant time with the disciples and, and teaching in, in the synagogue and the local churches, you would say. But He actually spent a significant amount of time with people who were not believers. And not just who were not believers, people who were a little bit rough on the surface. Actually, to the point where the religious people of that day looked down upon Him. They actually rejected his teaching, probably a lot to do with because of how he was doing it. And so the, yet again, another challenge for us, maybe there's life in it. Maybe there's joy in it because the Bible says that because of the joy that was set before Christ, he endured suffering, the greatest of all suffering. So there's something that was empowering him through the Holy Spirit because he was fully God, fully man. There's life in it. Um, last week, Mark, uh, this resonated with me. Mark spoke about how, uh, why is it when, when you're messy out someone's back garden, cutting down trees, even though you've never done that before, there's, there's gutters, there's muck, you're shoveling things, you're sweaty. Why is it in those moments on serve day? Come on, Adam, where's Adam? Serve day is coming up, yes, once every other month or something like that. Um, why is it in those events do we feel more alive than we've ever felt? When we're being least selfish, we're doing things for no reward financially. It's complete of a complete voluntary situation. Why is it, if you've never experienced that, I encourage you to try it. Go on one of the Saturdays with Adam. Do a serve day this year in the summer. Try it. You'll be surprised. Maybe for you, you've done maybe some charity work or something like that where it's, it, it's a bit messy. It's a bit broken in some ways. With, with, that's why when, when Caitlin does the compassion, I had Anna coming in through the door after being tired after work, going down to a compassion event, trying to reach into people's lives to serve the needy. And she's coming back with more energy, even though she left with nil. 
Why is that? Maybe there's life in it. Maybe it's not just a sacrifice. Maybe there's also a reward. Maybe it's, it's by design. Maybe God has created us not just to just drift, but to serve. Maybe there's genuinely something in it. So number two, we invest in people. People are not projects. You know, that, that's why we invest in Alpha. That's why we invest in kids. That's why we invest in groups. That's why we invest in service. That's why we invest in youth upstairs on a Friday night and upstairs on a Sunday. That's why we invest uh, in relationships outside of our own church with, with, with organizations like Aspire and Reach and CCI and, and ARC who plant churches. That's why we invest. Why? Because we invest in people. And people are not projects. So we go on to Luke 15. Verses 3, and it says, Then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent, meaning they've already repented. And you can kind of understand there's a situation here where the older brother gets angry. You can kind of understand... Why am I, you know, I've been the, I've stayed in line. Why am I not being rewarded? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking about this. The amount of phone calls or, or, or messages on Instagram, Facebook from parents within the church or maybe someone's been at the church that I get because they've lost. Have you ever seen sometimes in the kids ministry or any kind of um, kids organization, maybe at school, they make like posters and pictures with like, the, the lollipop sticks, you know, like a stick man. You know, yeah? No? Hello? Awake? You use that in primary school? You know, the wee sticks they use for a lollipop? Yeah, and they make stick man or houses out of it or whatever. You know, for, for us, you know, it's not very valuable, really, is it? You know, it doesn't really cost that much to create. Uh, and often the pictures that are created probably aren't worth too much either. Uh, I've never seen one sold from our kids' ministry for any kind of amount of money. And so for us, there's not much value, but, but yet I have parents on the phone to me, texting me, because after church, they've lost a poster with a, with a dab of messy plate and a one-piece stick. And there's all kinds of chaos around the dinner table the kid won't eat food until they get the painting back. There's of no value to, to anyone else in this room apart from that kid. It's lost. And until that, boast, that poster is returned, I'm having parents show up here, leaving the dinner table, leaving their house on a Sunday afternoon just to come and visit the church to find a piece of paper with a blob of paint and, and a piece of wood to get peace back into their house. Why? Because it's lost. And they'll turn the kids' ministry upside down. They'll, the, the man is sweating. 
in the ball pit, in the toddler's ball pit, trying to find a stick man that is completely worthless. But to one person, it matters. You know, sometimes I think that's the kind of passion God has called us to reach the lost with. When we realize this thing is so valuable, <laughs> it's so important. I'm leaving the dinner table, I'm leaving the house on a Sunday afternoon, even though there's a roast sitting there waiting, ready, hot. <laughs> I'm going to go to extre an extreme measure and message the pastor and take him away from his dinner. That's a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> going to get in the car. Complete emptiness in the church. There's no life about it, but I'm going in. I'm going into a situation which is completely often unheard of, uncomfortable, out of routine, out of normal behavior. I'm going to do it because it matters. Because something is lost. And I think when I read this, this is funny. It's a funny story for that to come up when I was reading that. That was the first thing I thought about me. Like, what is kind of a an example that I can use here. But I think that kind of passion, the kid is annoyed, the kid is frustrated, the kid cannot settle until somebody goes the extra mile to restore, to reconcile what was lost. What if we had that kind of disruption power, that kind of desire to call people to reconcile, to call people at work to come home, to call people in our family to come to Jesus? What if we kind of have that kind of child's disrupt, disruptive conviction that wouldn't rest until at least an effort is made to turn the, the kids' ministry upside down until the stick man is reconciled. Come on, say to your neighbor, have you found the stick man? Have you found the stick man? <laughs> See, God hasn't called us to reach a stick man. He's called us to reach people. Why? Because there, what happens when that father or that, that person arrives home with stick man and the blob of paint? There's celebration. There's food on the table again. We can move forward again. Life has got peace back in it. We're actually not just, it's not the same scenario as if they just brought it home as normal. It's better than that. What was once lost has now been retained, been found, restored. It's actually, it was a lower low, but now it's a higher 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 high. The bigger the battle, the bigger the reward. And so, number three, we find joy in people. And then it goes on to say, um, it then goes to point towards the prodigal son. And how the son has, essentially, if you don't know the story, the son was with his father and his brother at home, and he decided, I'm leaving. I want all my, my inheritance. I'm going to go party. He goes and parties. Long story short, he blows it all. 
He comes to the end of himself where he's, he's grasping for, for just basics. He starts to work alongside pigs in the lowest of the low in, in a situation in their society. And he comes to a stage in verse 19, I haven't got this on the screen, it says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to earn your love by what I do. And I think that's important right there because I think when we understand God's love the best, it's when we realize we've got nothing to offer him. And yet he still loves us. And yet he still died for us. Because you know what happens often when we come to church and we go to group and we go to prayer meetings and we read our Bible. Sometimes if we're honest, we think, I've done a little bit for God. You know, I've earned a little bit of this. But I'm telling you, when you go through some situations in your life where you've got nothing to offer them, when your life's a mess, when you're completely broken, and God's word still remains and it can still be spoken prophetically over your life, and that Jesus still died on the cross, whether you like it or not, that's when you realize who you are. That's when you truly realize what Jesus died for. It wasn't for performance. It wasn't for, to make you a good or bad girl, girl or boy. It wasn't, it wasn't just to get you through life. It was literally to say, hey, while you were still a sinner, I, I, I paid for you. I loved you. I, I can raise you into eternal life. And so it goes on. The son then comes home to his father after having that revelation. I don't know if any of you have been in that, that pit of despair, that place lowest of the low, uh, and, and here he comes back, and the father says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, we love people before they act right. We love people before they act right because one day is going to come where they realize that you don't love them just for what you do. You love them for who they are. That's how God has loved us. He didn't love us for what we do. He loves us for who we are. And see, here's the problem. If we have a church that's just loving people for what they do, as soon as they mess up, you crucify them. As soon as someone's in your group, in your friendship circle, and they mess up, and they make a mistake, what do you do? If you go through the filter of, I love them because of what they do, you crucify them, just like they crucified Christ. It's true. And that's why if we don't get the revelation of what Jesus did on the cross, we go around crucifying people, just like people crucified Christ. And so that's why it's important if we can understand, look, whoa, whoa, how, how do I stop crucifying people? How do I start, stop pushing people away? How do I stop giving up on people? How do you actually believe in someone before they believe in themselves? How do I believe in someone who's addicted, who keeps cycling if they keep doing it? How do I believe in someone who's in a toxic cycle of sin and it's actually affecting me? Can, can I actually... Is it possible to love them because I'm so bitter right now? Well, it is. But it's not possible your way. It's not possible how you do it. But it is possible how God does it. Well, how does God do it, Phil? Well, God does it before. 
God makes a decision before. He makes a decision that I'm, I've made a choice to love the world. Full stop. I'm going to act upon it by giving my son. And no emotion, no event that you can do, no word that you can say can stop his love being available. I'm not saying you're receiving it. I'm not saying you're getting it. It's available. How you get his love is you turn to him, but he's available. But sometimes we're not available because of how people act. Because we're like, there's no hope for them. But the church was supposed to be a light in a dark place. A prophetic voice where there was bones of death. You know that scripture in Isaiah talks about how the the dead bones in the desert. And and the book of Isaiah is, is prophetic in nature. So it's speaking to dead things to come to life. So so we're starting to speak to people while dysfunctional, while dead in sin. We're starting to see what they could be before they see it themselves. We're believing in them before they believe in themselves. What if we had a culture like that, a group like that, a friendship circle like that, when someone's messing up, hurting us? Listen, I still believe in you. I'm not giving up on you. It's not that you, I don't have boundaries. If you disrespect me, you know, there's a separation here. But I haven't given up. Why? Because Jesus didn't give up on me. I, I've made a vow to never give up on anyone. Ever. It might look different. Scenarios shift on. But I'll never give up on anyone. Because God never gave up on me. Because he made a decision before. You know what that removes from a church, from a body, from a person? Judgment. A judgmental attitude. You know what it releases? Godly agape love. Love that changes people. Love that's consistent whether you're good or not. Love which is there and it's waiting for you to behave right <laughs> patiently. It's a bit like a parent, really, isn't it? You're stuck with the kid, I'm sorry. And you're like, they're not behaving right. So I've got to be invested in the long game. I've got to keep prophetically speaking that, no, they're going to break through. I'm going to, sh- I'm going to be the best example as I can to, to, to show them consistent love. You know, a lot of the problems, addictions, all of those things we spoke about this during our group during the week. You know, in reality, all of these dysfunctions that we have as human beings are all birthed in situations where there wasn't love. There wasn't an, a safe environment of acceptance and protection. It's all like, if man's greatest desire is acceptance, every one of us in here, we all desire to be accepted for who we are. Yeah? You agree with me? Well, then the opposite is also our greatest fear. Man's greatest fear, man, when I say man, I mean man and woman. Man's greatest fear is rejection. All of these dysfunctionalities that we see within the human in today's world come from rejection of some kind. 
They do. Addictions. There's rejection somewhere down the line. Because what is an addiction? Addiction is a fake form of connection. It's, it's connection with a substance over connection with God and people. That's all it is. Yeah, it has many different forms. It gets complicated once your body is attached to certain substances and there's all kinds of issues trying to get disconnected. But in reality, the deepest core need of any human being is to experience the supernatural love of God and to have love from people. That's how we function at our best. Can I get an amen? And so we love people before they act right. Now, don't mistake in that for having no boundaries. Don't mistake in that for becoming a walkover. Don't mistake in that for not being able to say, no, you absolutely can. You know, God says no. If you reject him, he says no. If you don't submit to his ways, you're not loving him, and so therefore, there's a boundary in place. It's healthy relationship. You, you, you look, there's, there's submission there between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus says, I, don't, I only do what the Father does. There's, there's, a, there's a system, there's a framework. It's not just willy-nilly kind of love that the world teaches you. It's not that kind of love. It's not love is love. That doesn't even make sense. How can you define something? You've, you've realized that, right? You can't define love or a word by a word. That's no definition at all in basic form. Is anyone with me? Or am I just realizing this by myself? You know, that's just saying absolutely nothing in reality. That's just, ah, let's hope for the best. That doesn't work. Let's just put our head in the sand and try to move forward, hoping it'll work out. And so it's got to be God's kind of love. God's love is best discovered when we realize it cannot be earned by what we do. Luke 15 goes on to say, So they began to celebrate, and meanwhile the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he, he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come. He replied, And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Goes on to verse 31, says, My son, the father said, You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. You see, our primary call to, is to resource reconciliation for others. It's so easy just to become inward as a person. I think that's what I felt last week. Like, yeah, who am I reaching out to that, does, that doesn't look like me, talk like me? doesn't believe in Jesus like me. Who am I actually reaching out to? It challenged me. Because it's so easy just to become inward and, and try to climb the ladder within that box that we've, that we've built and run the project. And, but here, and I think that's really what the younger brother, the spirit he had, was like, wait a second, I've been behaving well. Where's my reward? I've been acting right. I've been showing up every day, being faithful, which are all good things. 
But somewhere along the line, the older brother lost the heart of the father. Somewhere along the line, if we're not careful attending church, going to group, doing all the good things, the right things, if we're not careful, if we don't see the bigger picture of why Jesus actually came, why the church exists, what can actually happen is we're doing the right thing with the wrong heart. We've actually lost the purpose of the church. We've lost opportunities. And when someone comes home all of a sudden, oh, that's a bit, there's not enough room. Oh, they're taking my seat all of a sudden. Oh, where are they going to go? When really that was the whole point. To reconcile humanity to God. And so what if we ask the question, hey, Holy Spirit, where, where have I maybe went off? What if you could ask yourself this week, Holy Spirit, what could I do? Is there a prodigal son in my life or someone else's life that I could help? Or that if they're looking to come to church or if they're looking to come back to Jesus, that I could make a way? I could give them a lift. I could speak in. I could prophesy. I could speak life. I could see potential when they're at their worst hour. That I could just be available waiting until they're ready. Until that moment, or I could be praying in the background. You can't tell me that the father wasn't praying in the background. He was waiting, anticipating. At any moment that if his son did come, he didn't know his son would ever come home. But he did. And his heart was soft. He wasn't, what's there? He didn't like give the guilt trip, like, what are you doing? You've wasted all your money. I can't believe you. He didn't care. Because his heart wasn't connected to a perfect idea of what a person should do in their lifetime. His heart wasn't connected to a perfect process, a perfect project, or what the neighbors or the Joneses said next door, or what they might. His heart was connected to the love of his son, to the love of that person, to the, what, what was best for them. And so, what if we could capture a little bit of that ourselves? Our primary call is to resource reconciliation for others. As people come in through the door, as people come into our house, as our neighbors walk past, as we go into work, that's a part of your journey. That's a part of your story. Even if they don't even go to our church, they're people. It's not just us and our little clan. And I'm telling you, as we have that heart, God moves powerfully. You'll find joy in people. You'll see God do great things. You'll have a story to tell. And you'll keep your heart soft from offense. I think that's a, a really important point there is that the older brother got offended. Probably stopped serving for a while. <laughs> Probably stopped, you know, giving, contributing. No, you give it all away to the, my, my, my brother who wasted it all. That doesn't make sense. That's actually not fair, is it? But favor, the favor of God isn't fair. That's why if we go back to the cross, it's not fair that Jesus had to die for you. It's not fair that he had to take the punishment on the cross. You see, once you get the revelation that favor, the unmerited favor of God isn't fair, well, then that's where we start. And so this isn't a competition, me versus them. Or who's the most blessed by God? This is a competition to see lost people becoming found. That's the only competition. And it's an individual race. No, no one person is better than each other. <clears throat> no matter what you do, 
So let's keep our heart as we come to church. We're not here to climb a ladder. We're not here to please God. God is pleased with you through Jesus. But now it's about lost becoming found. Now it's, become, now it's about dead becoming alive. And if we don't step up, if we don't go, if we're not sitting waiting available for people when the time is right, then we, we become the older brother. And I don't, know, I don't know about you, but it doesn't look like the older brother would even accept. I, honestly, I think the older brother there would have probably said, well, you can come back if you wear the right clothes. Oh, sounds familiar. You can come back if you show that you're for real over the test of time. You can come back if you perform right, if you say the right things, if you clean up your act. Thank goodness that Jesus didn't come when we were ready because <laughs> he wouldn't come at all. Thank goodness that there's people in our community that love us before we're ready because if they didn't, they wouldn't love us at all. <clears throat> Thank goodness there's some people believed in us, spoke life over us, prayed for us before we had it all together. Because if they waited until we were together, they wouldn't believe in us at all. You see, the gifts of the body, the talents that you have, the things that you're good at, God never actually designed them to come alive fully until they were used for someone else. You will not feel the most alive that you can feel until you use your gifts, your talents, your resource. The space that you have, your creativity, until you use that to love people, to serve people, to sacrifice it and lay it down at the altar for people for the sake of the kingdom. I'm telling you. And when you do that, listen, we've probably all tried it. You're maybe in the middle of trying to do it your own way, trying to buy enough clothes into happiness. Come on, you've all been on the Boohoo, lads, ASOS. What else? Zara. What else is there out there? Amazon. We're trying to buy our way into fulfillment. We're trying to buy our way into happiness. We're trying to buy our way into functionality. We're trying to buy our way into purpose. And it's, it, have you ever felt that feeling where you've done that and you're like, this is like empty. <laughs> I've done it. I've tried it. I thought I needed it. And then I'm still left feeling empty. I'm going to finish up here. Um, I want to read this statement out just to finish off. And it says, we are all about people. We believe that people matter to God and so they should matter to us. People are our greatest asset. We value people. We celebrate people. We invest in people. We care for people. We love all people regardless of race, of gender, of lifestyle, of socioeconomic background. We prioritize people. People are not projects, but precious to God and to us. We are a reaching church an inviting church, a welcoming church, people are our priority. It's an incredible place to be a part. That's the kind of church I want to go to. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. 
I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast. <laughs>